Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen, the fa- seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Bible, please have it opened at John 13 and starting at verse 36. It's a long time since I've been there, but I know there is a road in Germany called Himmelsweg. For those of you who don't know any German, it means the road to heaven. That's where we're bound tonight, on that road to heaven. And we have a wonderful guide, and it's not me. As we come to this final section of John's Gospel, the part before Passion of Jesus... The Holy Spirit is lifting us way up. We are on that way to heaven. We are going up high. If you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is coming to Beulah, the beautiful country. He's right, flying high now. He's within sight of the celestial city. That's where we are with this gospel. Let's stand. Let's, Let's pray for a moment. Let's pray. Now in reverence and awe, we gather round your word. In wonder we draw near to mysteries that angels strain to hear, that prophets dimly saw. So let your spirit shine upon the page and teach me. Open up my eyes with truth to free me, light to chase the lies. Lord Jesus, let us meet you in your word. Lord Jesus, this evening, let us meet you in your word. 
Amen. Departures are difficult. I can still remember leaving our daughter at college. She just started in the University of Plymouth. Um, obviously, she's been away on holidays and things like that, but this is different. We're going to come back. She's got a new life. It was difficult for me and Val and for our daughter, Karen. Three years ago, the disciples had left their livelihood to follow Jesus. They'd seen Jesus preach to the poor, heal the sick, and even raise the dead. But now, the Lord who they'd lived with and learnt from and been loved by was leaving them. This was a final departure. You can feel the disciples' distress. Jesus is about to love, and the worst part, to leave, the worst part is they can't come too. Peter's always bold, isn't he? He always puts his foot in it, he jumps in first. I'll never leave you, Lord. Sadly, the Lord has to tell him, actually, you're going to deny me, and you're going to do it three times. Before we start pointing at Peter, have we ever denied the Lord? Yes, I think I probably have. Probably, maybe many times. Whatever. We can't point the finger at Peter. We've all gone wrong. Later, he would lay down his life. He would follow Jesus. He was going to be crucified, but it was going to be upside down. So he did follow the Lord. And later still, he followed the Lord back to heaven. We are called to take up our cross. Many times it says that in the gospel. Timothy was told, you've got to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus and endure hardship. And Paul writes to the Philippian church and he tells them really what sounds a strange things. Philippians 1.29, God's got a grace gift for you. What is this grace gift? That you are called to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's the grace gift. We are worthy of suffering for the Lord. It is a gift. We are worthy of suffering for Jesus because we bear that name. It's a badge of true discipleship. If you find a Christian who has never ever suffered, something's going wrong somewhere. Jesus is so good. He can feel the fear and anxiety rising in the hearts. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The hearts are important all the time. The heart is always the heart of the matter as we come to the scriptures. But Jesus is a healer of troubled hearts. That's the good news this evening. He is in the restoration business. There is nobody too difficult, no person too hard for him to change. There was somebody a couple of hundred years ago, or was it 300 years ago? A long time ago anyway. He started life as a pot boy in a pub in Gloucestershire. That's where he started. But God's in the restoration business. And his name was George Whitfield. And it was used by God in revivals in the USA and in this country. And once in this country, he had a crowd so big they had to come inside the church and hold the service outside. 3,000 people came to faith. From this, started with this pot boy pulling up barrels in a pub. That's what God can do. He's wonderful and he restores, he changes, he uses the most unlikely people. So that's good news for me. Very good news for me. But listen, think where Jesus is now. He's hours away from the cross. He's going to suffer and die in a way we can't imagine. But he's going to take away our sin through it. What is the remedy to the heart troubles? Blessed assurance, if we can say it, Jesus is mine. 
It's a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. All those things are true if you come to Jesus. What did he say to the disciples? You believe in God, believe also in me. There's a second dimension to faith here. It gives it a new quality. Personal trust in Jesus. Everything in the Bible is personal. There's no tablets and iPads and all that stuff in sight. It's a personal faith in a personal son who laid aside his glory, gave his life to put us right with God. And if we charge on a bit further from what Raoul read to verse 23, we have a wonderful verse. As we love and obey Jesus, we will be loved by his father. And his father and son will make our heart his home. Let that warm your hearts as you go home this evening. Father and Son, Father and Son never go anywhere without the Holy Spirit. So you have Father, Son and Holy Spirit living in your hearts. That's the reality. Maybe we haven't realised it, but that's what we have. Now it's good to ask questions. The disciples had plenty of questions. Jesus is the best person to ask. So we have find Peter, first of all. He's got two questions. Where are you going, Lord? The one you come to love most is just going to disappear out of his life. Where are you going? And why can't I follow you now? Jesus tells him his strategy in verses chapter 14, 2 to 3. I'm going, Peter, to prepare a place for you in the Father's house. And I'm going to come back and collect you and take you to the Father's house above. Those words are important. The Greek tells us that Jesus doesn't just leave us alone. He's going to come back and actually collect us, journey with us to the heavenly home. It's a promise for every single follower of Jesus. Now we live in a world that has strange sayings. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, it will never happen. But what Jesus tells us is the truth. He never pulls any punches, he tells us the truth. We'll come to that in a moment. There is life eternal. There is a wonderful future for all who follow Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew... More than 30 times Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everything Jesus says is the truth that we need to know. Heaven is a place the Lord Jesus has lavished such time and thoughts and love on for you and me. It's a home full of variety. It's going to, in some marvellous way, it's going to be fitted to every single saint and to all the saints. I don't know how, but that's what we're told. And Jesus has reserved a place for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, your place is there. Nobody else will take it. It's got your name on it. You will be there. I sort of hesitate to talk about German proverbs because I'm never sure that I get quite get where they're going to. But there is a proverb that says, Blessed are the homesick, for they will reach heaven. I think it's telling us that we need to be homesick for heaven because that's where we're going. And so Jesus says in verse 2 of chapter 14, If it wasn't like this... I would have told you. It's not a fairy story. There's no magic wands in sight. We're going to heaven. That's our journey. Jesus never encouraged false hopes. Never. They would be separated. That's the truth. And Peter would follow later, and so would we. So Jesus is doing two things here. He's preparing a place for his people, but he's also preparing his people for a place. Where I am, he says, you will be also. Just think for a moment. Think what the Apostle John saw on that island of Patmos. 
Forced labour, after all I've done, the disciple that Jesus loved, how long are we going to be in this island? What a waste. And then suddenly Jesus is there in all his majesty, shining like the sun in all its brilliance. And he hears his voice. It's like the sound of many waters. You're going to hear that voice one day. You're going to see that Lord one day. Then Thomas gets in with his question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus says, you do know the way because you know me. I am the way. Nobody else can say that with any authority or truth. I am the way. And as Jesus speaks, we hear God speak. Now, there may be many roads to Rome, but there are no multiple routes to heaven. It don't work. It doesn't work like that. I am the way, says Jesus. Not a way, not a possible way, not a way out of 40. I am the way. And the bad news is we never reach heaven by going through religious motions or hoping that the good might outweigh the bad. Fallon and I have been, um, after COVID, we've been going through books of the Bible and recently we've been going through Isaiah and Jeremiah. And the people of God got into this kind of thing that if we do lots of fasting, if we do lots of chanting, lots of religion, we'll be okay. No, you weren't okay. In fact, you were getting into more idols and God's substitutes than ever. I've been searching to find the right words to describe the love of such a mighty and wonderful God, and I still can't find them. All I can say is his love is so powerful that he sent it his own son. We cannot imagine how much the father loves the son. We cannot know that. It's beyond our human knowledge. But he was prepared to send his own son for people like me. What a wonderful God. And a saviour whose compassion is strong enough. And it actually says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What kind of joy is that? Doing his precious father's will. And knowingly bring people like you and me to heaven one day. And many, many million. 2.2 billion was the last estimate I saw of Christians in the world. And all those people are going to see his face. All those people. And dwell in that land always. Who would ever dream that God would stoop himself to become a way to himself? How amazing. We can never reach the heavenly home without Jesus. He is the way. So we have really good news this evening. It's good news for me. It doesn't rest on who I am and what I've done. Ah, wonderful. But it does rest on what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done. That's the marvel of it. He is leading us on that highway. It's a highway of holiness. We have to be careful that we're ditching all the stuff that he doesn't want us to bring with us. I mean, if he's shown us things that are not really to be part of a journey, we need to get rid of them quick. When I went on a big um, expedition down Dartmoor Way, we tried to get rid of stuff as quickly as we could for all these packs because it made the long 55-mile journey a lot easier. So if there's stuff in our life, it's got to go. The Bible calls it repent. There are many religious leaders and gurus down through the ages who have said, oh, I can show you a way, I'll tell you a way. Say me, maybe a false messiah has said I am the way. I was looking at some book titles recently. One was on self-satisfaction. Don't buy it for Christmas. There are much, much better things you can buy for Christmas than this book. And it said that self-satisfaction is the ultimate goal of life. 
How deluded can you be? If you look for self-satisfaction, you'll miss all the best gifts that God could ever give. How sad that people can be even going out and thinking of buying a book like that. But there are self-confident people today. They feel sure that they know best. They would say, oh, I can manage life's journey. I adapt and do this and that. I get through, don't I? When God's people were coming back from the Babylon exile, he had to exile them because of their sin so they could come to their senses. When they're on the way back, the country's flat. The temple's gone. All the dwelling places are gone. All raised to the ground. What is going to God do first? Is he going to send for an architect? Is he going to look for a town planner? Is he going to look for uh, an organiser of things? No. Jeremiah 24, 7. This is what God says first. I will give you a new heart to know me. Because a heart is the heart of the matter. And as Paul, Paul, as Paul spoke those good news to Lydia in that women's prayer group in Philippi, what happened? The Lord opened her heart to respond. Paul didn't open her heart, and Lydia didn't open her own heart. The Lord does the heart opening so he can come in. But we have to be aware we have a wily enemy, Satan, and he's going to try and divert us from that narrow way. But we have a price. It says, I will never leave you, I will never ever forsake you. That's the promise of Jesus to all his disciples. So which road are we on this evening? Where are we bound? There is only one way to heaven. His name is wonderful and his name is Jesus. But Jesus is also the truth. And without Christ we can't know the truth. All the mysteries of wisdom that baffle the boffins, we can find it in Jesus. You can read Proverbs 8 and it's full of statements about truth. But it's not a list of statements. It's a description of Jesus. Everything there applies to him. The Corinthians thought they were, as Greeks, they really know everything about knowledge. Can't teach us, we know all there's known about knowledge. So Paul writes to the Corinthian church with the real truth that Christ is the wisdom of God. That is the top wisdom. Now, as, um, I did, last Christmas, or Christmas before, I was talking to a dentist. I don't know why I was, but I was talking to this dentist, and he told me he's bought for his children these virtual reality headsets. So they put them on, and they can climb up the Kilimanjaro or something and come down, and then they take it off, and they're back in the lounge again. Following Jesus is not virtual reality. It's ultimate reality. It's the real-life truth. New life truth. And without the truth that Jesus brings, where are our ethics? Where do we get them from? People are saying today that we haven't got any ethics. There's no such thing as evil, people are saying, which is a very, very desperate uh, place to be in. Because we can't see the evil, how can we be rescued from it? We need to turn to God's word again. We have that spirit of truth. There's a heavenly helper that Jesus has promised us. He opens up our heart and he fills us with the best things of Jesus. Beware of Satan. He's a nasty character. He knows your weaknesses and he knows mine. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer of souls. He's a stealer of sermons. Even as I speak, he may be saying to, well, switch off for a minute. You've got things to do tomorrow, haven't you? Just, just plan a bit for that. He is in charge of the ministry of misinformation. 
They are overworked. They are at it constantly trying to do God's people down. Beware of them, but don't fear them. You don't have to fear them. If by God's grace we know Jesus this evening, we know the truth. And the wonderful thing about the truth of Jesus is he sets us free. There is a worse slavery to any that the world has ever known. And that's the slavery we're in as Satan locks us away. And only Jesus can turn that key and release us from that stranglehold. To know Jesus is to be at the fountainhead of all truth. Now when the ship is about to go, they get all the provisions in, food, drink, um, seasick pills in case the liner goes up and down too much, everything they might need for the journey. And as the journey goes on, they'll gradually use the stuff. So how does Jesus prepare us as disciples for the journey? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work so that the words of Jesus, the spirit-filled, life-giving words of Jesus, can be planted like um, spiritual nuggets deep down in our soul, in our hearts. And we can draw on them in dark times, in difficult times. They will light the way for us. They will lift us. If you jump down uh, across to 3 John 3, the church was in trouble. Church in trouble. But there was a Gaius who was walking in the truth. But he says it puts it like this. The truth was in Gaius, and Gaius walked in the truth. You can't walk in the truth unless you're in the truth in Jesus. And Gaius was in both. And the truth, the things he believed, he lived out, even as the rest of the church were drifting away. Fortunately, we're in a brilliant church which loves the Lord and which loves his word. But it gives a warning that there were these places then and possibly, who knows, where they are now. We are called next week to holy living. We need that Holy Spirit-inspired lifestyle. It's our job next week. We are to be a witness to the truth which we only find in Jesus. It can be costly. It can be costly. Some people seem to be very double-minded. They speak about convictions. They go off and do something else that condemns them. It's not for somebody like Pilate. Do you remember Pilate? Has Jesus standing in front of him. He has the nerve to say what is truth. What is truth? He has the truth standing in front of him. You don't want to debate about philosophy. We need to recognise Jesus as the truth. And if Jesus is there in our hearts, we have the truth within. And that brings us closer to all our brothers and sisters because we are linked with all truth lovers. Christians are truth lovers. We have the ultimate truth for seekers everywhere. And only the one who is, is, is the truth will set us free. And his name is Jesus. We're nearly there. But we have the life to go. Jesus is not only the way and the truth, he is the life. So John writes later in his gospel, this is life eternal. What is it, John? That they should know you, the heavenly father, the only God, and Jesus Christ, the son of God whom you sent. That's God's grand design for you and me. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus is the source of all life, physical life, spiritual life. We know the spring of life in our first parents was tainted at the source by sin. So we are in that sin position. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, we started off dead in wrongdoing and sin. That's the divine verdict. We live in a world that has no answer to the problem of death. It's a fatal flaw in our makeup. 
It's like a vicious circle of sin and death and judgment. And no government, guru, influencer or whatever can fix it. It's not a matter of money or good health. There's only one thing that can do it, a personal relationship with the God who cared so much for us, he sent his beloved son to us, to die for us, to lead us to eternal life. And if we're there following Jesus, we are covered by that covenant. It's like a, a massive, when it really rains, you can't cover yourself properly. You know how that's, you get drenched. We are covered by the covenant of Christ above us. His amazing grace guarantees that covenant. It's nothing to do with what you've done. Nothing to do with religious duties you've done. It's all about what Jesus has done. Now we're into John's letters, 1 John 5, 12. This is really what it looks like. We're coming to the end soon. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have the Son of God has not life. That's God's verdict. In other words, without Christ we exist. We get through the day, okay? But the Son of God brought life from the throne, from God himself. Jesus is so full of life, he gives life away. And he says in John 10.10, I came that you might have life. Life in all its fullness. Not half of life or a fair imitation of life, life in all its fullness. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He's proved it. In Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, Lazarus, and not least in his own life. Christ is so full of life, he gives it away without there being any reduction in his life. We can't understand it, but we can be blessed by it. And so if we trust that Jesus this evening and obey him, we have the life of God within us. And it's by believing, as John summed up, that we have life in his name. A life that will never end. God guarantees it. Absolute guarantee. So, as we come to wind up this evening... We need to stop doing something. Stop trying to sort out our own lives. We're not as good at it as God is. And one thing I find more and more personally, the more I feel empty, the more I feel weak, then I find the Holy Spirit pours his goodness and fullness into me. And I really need that. I need that. Jesus calls us to follow him this evening. Jesus is the way we must follow, the truth we must trust, the life we must hope for. We remember he's going to prepare a place, he said, and he's going to come back, collect us, and take us to be with him. So what is it like to live in that father's house? Well, it's like being with Jesus. If you know Jesus now, you know something of what it will be like. And unless the Lord returns first, Jesus is going to come to you one day and he's going to say, right, I'm ready for you. Come with me, and we are there. It's as simple as that, and as wonderful as that. What a wonder to be taken by heaven, by Jesus, and find it's all prepared for me, for you. Baden Powell was a Christian. On his gravestone, there's not a lot of flowery words. What there is, is a sign. It's a circle with a dot in the middle. And I'm told it's a scout's tracking sign. And it just means, gone home gone home. We are heaven bound. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one, absolutely no one comes to the Father but by me. And these words are written so that we may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing we might have life in his name, in the name of Jesus. May it be so for his glory 
Amen.